We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. I've always asked the question, how much, how much is it going to take to keep them here? Even if we doubled the max salary or two and a half times, you know, and all of a sudden we were paying our top players 300000 are they going to turn down the million-dollar contract with ECAP? The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats Podcast. Here's your host, John Little. Hey there, and welcome into another edition of the Her Hoop Stats Podcast. John Little here back with you, and it may sound a little different. You hear that hum in the background? Yeah, I'm on a train on the way into work. Yeah, that's because the car broke down. Maybe you live in a city where you take the train all the time. It's not so common here in DFW. Train travel is not one of the biggest modes of transportation that we have. It seems like a lot of us are car commuters if we live outside of the area where we work. And so for me, I'm trying to get a little multitasking done on this Monday morning. So thanks so much for being here. Great that you found us again as we keep rolling on now into the WNBA playoffs. And I really think this was a great idea by our founder and the executive producer of this podcast, Aaron Barzilai, to have Nikki Collin on, the head coach of the Atlanta Dream. Why is it such a great idea to have somebody on that uh, has been eliminated from the playoffs, quite frankly? Well, it's because she knows these teams so well, and Coach Collin was so good about giving us a breakdown of some of the top teams in the league, what it takes to beat them, why she thinks they're good, uh, why she thinks that they are going to be a tough out in the postseason. Of course, we do that with a couple of the top teams in the league. And then just get a nice overview of her season and what it's like for a coach heading into the offseason after, my gosh, so much success last year, the WNBA Coach of the Year, and then come 
coming into this year and then just never having it come together in Atlanta, ending up missing out in the playoffs. And now the Dream have some work to do to get back to where they want to go. Uh, Coach Collin, extremely gracious with her time. I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Is it tough to come to grips with just how things have all um, evolved here in 2019? And, and how have you come to terms with that as a head coach, as you guys just have had a, a much tougher road of it this year than you did last? Yeah, I mean, um, a lot of learning on my part, no doubt. I think that, you know, the news is they didn't take my trophy back um, from last <laughs> year. So, you know, um, I think the weight of expectations affected us uh, early. Um, you know, we won our first game, but didn't necessarily play particularly well and then and got blown out in back-to-back losses against Seattle and Washington and I, I just feel that feel like that affected our psyche in a way that it that it really shouldn't have um, because I think it was it was two games and um, you know we proved last year that when you get on a run at the right time of year that you know two games isn't you know life and death but but I will say um, you know when you look at us statistically analytically you know we're we're about to set a record for most unguarded misses. Um, like in the WNBA, uh, maybe in the history. So we just have not put the ball in the basket. We've created more unguarded looks than any team in the league. Um, you know, and, and certainly some of that is when you're not making shots, um, how hard are people running at you? Um, you know, and, and so you can look at it a lot of different ways, but, you know, unfortunately across the board, we don't, we don't have a single player from 2000, 18 that was back in 2019 that had a statistical match uh, to their 18th season. Everybody's numbers were down across the board. So, you know, uh, not having Angel affected us probably more than I would have even thought it would. And I certainly thought it would affect us. Angel was a key cog in, in our success in 18, but we kind of weathered losing her late. And I, I just feel like, you know, we had the pieces in place. Um, to continue on from that, you know, especially in a season where outside of Washington, you know, everybody else was a little beat up. Um, you know, maybe maybe Connecticut, too, was pretty healthy all year. But, you know, when you look around the league and the, the, the key players that were missing, I still thought we had good enough pieces to, you know, be a playoff team. So, you know, a lot of sleepless nights. Um, but I would tell you that I've learned a lot about leadership. Um, you know, when you go 18 and 0, when you lead going into the fourth quarter in one year, which is kind of insane and, you know, numbers aren't, don't duplicate like that very often. And then this year to not be the total reverse of that, but really on the flip side where, you know, I think we're, we're like four and 14, you know, when we lead going into the fourth, which means at 18 games, we led, you know, going into the fourth. And when you um, you know, so, so hopefully by, you know, 2020, we, we, we come somewhere more in a normalized perspective and meet in the middle. Well, when you look at, uh, you're coming toward the end of the season. Now you have one game left. How fast do you start looking at the construction of next year's team or once the playoffs are not an option for you as they haven't been over the last couple weeks or so? Is that when you really start trying to, to wrap your head around these things and, and look forward to next year? Not that you're not 
trying at all at this point in the season, but just trying to figure out, all right, what what are the pieces that we can maneuver here to make sure we're not in this position next year? Yeah, I think there's there's a little bit of both. I think you still, you know, I'm I'm too competitive um, to not, you know, prepare every game like it's a it's it's the game that matters the most. And so we've continued to prepare to win. Our, our you know our, our team really hasn't had much quit. We we certainly have been in every game um, that we've played. You know, the last six weeks and and um, you know, but I think when we um, knew we weren't going to make the playoffs. Certainly the wheels start turning and, you know, I, I'm, I'm a person that the wheels never stop turning. I, 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 I told someone today, you know, like I, I didn't get a lot of sleep this season and a lot of nights I would lay in bed and think about what I could have done better, what we need to add or what we need to do, um, you know, to be better. And then even when we turn around and we win a game, um, and I think I'm going to get a good night's sleep, you know, then I'm laying in bed thinking like, why didn't we look more like this, <laughs> you know, all season? Why, you know, we, we were, we were able to weather, you know, Tiffany Hayes and Jessica Breland, um, you know, not being able to play and, and still find a way to beat Vegas. So, you know, you start to question those things, but, um, absolutely. You have to go into, um, that what is, what is next year going to look like? And, you know, you're, you're looking at, uh, the young nucleus combined with, you know, protected contracts and, and who's going to be a free agent. And, you know, the, the wild card here though, and this is the tough part is that, you know, with, without having a CBA or understanding what that means and what our cap is going to look like next year. And, you know, if there are any changes to the core situation or, you know, like you don't, you don't really know. Um, and so you have a lot of, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it like right now, um, you know, with Alex Bentley and Angel McCautry being free agents um, going into this off season, and and you can say, okay, those are two important positions for us. So, you know, are we looking at, you know, point guards? Are we looking at small forwards in terms of the draft? Um, but then those things can change over in terms of you go into free agency, and if you get the right um, person in free agency, then that changes how you look at the draft. So. Um, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, whatever way you want to look at it, you know, we knew that we were going to have the fourth best odds to get the number one pick, regardless of whether we won or lost, um, coming down late in the season. You know, we were just, we were too good in 2018, um, to ever put our, you know, two year aggregate in a situation where, you know, we were going to be, have the best odds to get the number one pick. And so, you know, the, the process has been, you know, we might as well just keep winning, you know, because our odds are going to be that we're going to have the, you know, fourth best odds, regardless of whether we finish, you know, ninth or 12th, you know, so my goal even down the stretch was how do we, how do we get to ninth? You know, we're not going to make the playoffs, but how do we get to ninth? So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's always, you know, I'm, I'm a mechanical engineer by um, degree. So like the, the problem solving, the, the wheels are always turning in, in a lot of different ways for sure. I understand that completely, and we're visiting with Nikki Collin, the head coach of the Atlanta Dream. One thing you said right at the beginning of that response is it just it made this stick out to me. The margin is just so thin in this league. Um, as you know, 23 wins last year and something below that this season for you guys, and it was 12 wins the year before you got there. What have you learned about the key things that – 
help you gain those edges in the margin that you need to win, whether it be in your time with Kurt in Connecticut or now your time in these last two years with Atlanta. Where do you think those those biggest little things are in this league? Well, I think some of it is is consistency. And, um, you know, when you think about, um, you know, when when I came on staff with Kurt and he inherited the situation in Connecticut, you know, we had three first round picks um, and we had two, but we, we already had a, a trade in mind with John Quell and with Chelsea Gray, assuming uh, John Quell didn't get taken by Dallas. And so, you know, that job was very much a rebuild job. And so we knew it was a building block job. We knew it was, you know, this might be a tough first year, but we're building towards the future. And when you look at Connecticut's success this year and where they're at, it's, it's the consistency of that group of starters. Um, you know, they've now played together consistently for four years. And, you know, even some of the bench players and Rachel Bannum and Morgan Tuck and, you know, are, are, were a part of that as well. And so there's a consistency and a growth um, there. You know, when you look at when you look at our roster, I, I'm I'm really proud of the players we have on our roster. But this league has traditionally had success built by the draft or by forced trades, or some combination of the two. And so when you when you think about um, Seattle and LA and Phoenix um, and Minnesota, I mean they they had a plethora of number one picks. Um, and you know, I I had a roster this year that our starting lineup. The average pick was like 9.8. Hmm. Um, you know, when we placed Vegas um, two nights ago, their starting lineup was like 1.8. <laughs> and so when you, when you think about um, this league, it's about, it's, it's about if you don't have necessarily um, the best players, you have to have great synergy. And I think what we had last year was incredible synergy. Um, we were hungry. They had a chip on their shoulder and, you know, I think they competed on every possession. Um, and, and so we did enough to find a way to win. And, and so in this league with so much talent, you know, if you don't have that key player, um, the Tina Charles, the Brittany Griner, the Elena Deladon, that in crunch time that you're going to play to and play through, um, you've got to have great synergy. And I think the difference between us this year and last year winning games is that you know, last year we, we had Angel, but we also had such good synergy that we really played to matchups. And, you know, we were able to take advantage of matchups um, in fourth quarters. And, you know, a five-point lead, the way we defended people, was more like a ten-point lead. Um, you know, our, our margin of um, error this year was so much shorter. And with everyone, you know, shooting the ball so poorly – you know, it was it was so easy for us to fall into the trap of, um, you know, when a team would make a run against us, I think of, OK, we've been here, done that. We know how this ends. And having you know, and as much as you think you're dealing with the best athletes in the world, confidence is still a powerful thing and maybe the most powerful thing. And, you know, and so, you know, there's only so much you can do to get them to believe in um, their next shot. It's going to fall. You know, you can help them create the shot um, with good actions, but, you know, they, they still have to step up and make it. And when teams get in flows where they're making it, you know, that's contagious. When teams are getting in flows where they're not making them, you know, we're, we're the perfect example of what that can look like. 
And we're visiting with Nikki Collin, the head coach of the Atlanta Dream. Really appreciate your specificity on that answer. That was some really good stuff right there. I hope everybody was uh, taking notes as they build their own WNBA franchise out there. Uh, But forced trades, you were talking about how draft picks and forced trades, that really builds this league. That's something that I really haven't been able to get anybody to open up about to me, or I probably haven't asked the right question. What's the key in this league to not getting in that situation with a top player? And on the other end, taking advantage of that situation if somebody out there is trying to um, uh, unload a player that is that is not happy but is a uh, is a marquee type player. What what's your thought on on forced <laughs> trades in this league? Yeah, it's super complicated, and I'm not, you know, I mean, as someone who's only been in this league for four years, I'm sure there's people that, um, the Tebow's of the world, that might have better answers because they've, they've seen it more um, over the years. I think that um, one thing that I think is problematic is, you know, and I, I understand why it was put in place, the idea of, you know, women's sports being very grassroots-centric and, you know, wanting franchise to be able to build around a, a marquee player and have some consistency in, in that player. I um, the importance of that, because quite frankly, like women's basketball fans do attach um, more and, and get more um, personally attached to players. And so I, I understand the concept of um, the franchise tag, but I think, you know, it's unfortunately when you, when you think about a rookie contract being four years and then the typical, um, restricted free agent contract being two to three years, and then the ability to core a player four times, you're talking about holding a player's rights for, you know, somewhere around 10 years. It's a long time. You know, it's a long time. And so there's just so little freedom of movement. Um, and so, you know, I don't know. I mean, some people think it would be more exciting if all of a sudden our league was more like the NBA and, and, and we allowed more freedom of movement. You know, un- unfortunately, you, you've got some of the same thing in the NBA. It's, you know, I mean, um, Anthony Davis, nobody so- forced him to sign that contract um, with the Pelicans, you know, and then he wanted out, you know. So I, I think you there's, – there's no perfect answer, but I do think we need a little more freedom of movement, um, you know. And now, granted, there, there, freedom of movement is two ways. There's a lot of players that get very, very comfortable and don't want to move. You know, and the nature of our league and the fact that um, they go play overseas, most of them in the offseason, most of their career, having a um, home base feel when they come back and having a consistency of that because they tend to play on different in different countries and different teams overseas. I think that plays in, too. So, you know, there's two sided components. We want all this change. And then, you know, I'm not sure the players always want it until they want it. <laughs> And, um, you know, certainly you have to pay attention. I'm in a market that, that players like, you know, Atlanta is a great place, um, for young, uh, women. And, you know, it's, it's one of the biggest off season homes for professional athletes on the men's side. Like Atlanta is a great location. Um, you know, and so we want to continue to be a great franchise so that if, if there are players that are like, Hey, I want to live in Atlanta, you know, it's not like I'm opposed to someone wanting to be here, you know? And so, you know, you, um, 
you want to take advantage of it, obviously, when there's when it's situationally based. But um, unfortunately, you know, as as good as Washington is, and as good as their players are, not named Elena Deladon. If Elena Deladon isn't in Washington, Washington doesn't set um, the offensive records that they set this year. You know, I mean, she's just that good. And you know, while giving up a Stephanie Dolson and a Kalia Copper. Um, you know, in a draft pick wasn't, you know, the most lopsided trade in the history of our league. Um, there's not a lot of Elena Deladons. There's not a lot of Brianna Stewart's, you know. And so, you know, when you when you talk about those kind of players, you know, they're they're players that you can build a championship around. Is that the first thing that you look at when you're looking at a draft is not necessarily need, but number one, is there a game-changing player like that? Or do I see a player that could develop into that potentially? Because, uh, you know, basketball in general, whether it be the WNBA or like you referenced the NBA, it's ruled by the the individual players that are just a level above everybody else. Absolutely. And you, you have to. And some drafts don't have that player. I mean, it, and that's just the reality, you know, for – for every draft that there's a Brittany Griner or, you know, that how, how special is that draft? You know, when you have Skyler and Brittany and Elena Deladon, mm. you know, in your top three, um, you know, I mean, I have Elena Coates on my roster and, you know, she was the second overall pick that was traded for a third round pick waived, you know, when we picked up um, as a, as a free agent, you know, not even picked up off waivers. And so, you know, every draft is different and, you know, Asia Wilson was special. Asia Wilson was better than I would have. She made the transition much faster than than I would have even thought. I mean, everybody knew um, Brianna Stewart had the skill set to immediately come in, you know, with her size, skill. Um, there's just, you know, she's a unicorn. Then then you also have players that, you know, I, I know that people assume Yanescu was going to be the number one pick had she come out this year. But I'm not convinced Vegas wasn't going to take Jackie Young. Either way, um, you know, and Jackie Young may have not had the statistics in college, but she has the body and the position versatility, um, you know, and this is a league about athleticism. Um, you know, there are very few players who um, are capable of, of, you know, immediately coming in and doing what Stewie did or doing what Asia Wilson did. And so, you know, you kind of have to, you know, kind of go draft to draft and figure out, is there somebody like that? And then sometimes it's about deciding whether you want want someone who is a known entity or you want someone with, you know, significant upside, you know, uh, a Kennedy Carter, someone like that who, you know, could be a little Arike-like, you know, but has also and suspended from games and missed this, missed that. So you have to, you know, you, you kind of have to make those type of decisions as an organization. Nikki Collin is our guest, the head coach of the Atlanta Dream, and we are stealing some of her wisdom here today. You had the, the buy into the semifinals last year, which is something that a, a couple teams are, are lucky enough to get this year in Connecticut and Washington, of course. Um, what did you learn about taking your team through that 
that downtime or that waiting time where you're not exactly sure who you're going to get to play. How did you handle it last year? Did you feel like you handled it well? And what tips would you have for a coach as they were in that position and trying to take full advantage of it? Yeah, I mean, I think you almost go go into a um, mini camp type um, perspective. You know, you kind of go back and go back to basics. You get lots of offensive execution in, you know, and and maybe it's it's spending a day working against ice defense, and it's a day against you know a team that's going to hedge. But you you really focus on yourselves and kind of getting back to um, some of the execution type stuff because. You spend last year was incredibly unique because of the shortness of the season. That like once we started the season, there was very little time um, to not be going scout to scout, you know, and team to team. And so it's it's a good time to take a step back and you sit back and you watch your opponents. Um, and certainly, you also have you know the idea with with WNBA that not only are you in a situation where you're waiting on a, an opponent that can change um, because they reseed every round, you know? So you can't just say, well, it's going to be this team or this team, you know? And so, you know, you even have that situation that changes um, you know, your perspective. And so I think the best thing you do is, is continue to, to get, um, you know, offensive work and combine that with just keeping them fresh Um you know, allowing them to get good recovery and making sure they're in, they're doing cryotherapy and get a good lift in. And, you know, so you can kind of take those opportunities, I think, as well, um, you know, to keep you fresh going in into those, you know, semifinal series. You talked about earlier how um, – how important Elena has been to Washington's success. And one of the reasons I wanted to take advantage of having you on is because you scout and you have seen all these teams three times this year, and you have, uh, you've got better knowledge than anybody. What's the key to beating Washington? If you were in that, uh, in that five game series and you were trying to get that done to go to the finals, what is the key to knocking them off this year? Yeah, I think first of all, I have to say that that if if people don't watch a lot of basketball, watching Washington is a thing of beauty. Um, they are just a pretty pretty basketball team to watch play. Um, I've told Mike that a number of times. I mean, I think they've they've taken the kind of NBA five out um, versatility to the next level and are really fun to watch. But I, but I think. The key with Washington, and it's much easier said than done, is you have to make them go two by two by two. Um, when they get it, when they get it rocking from the arc, um, they get you spread and stretched. Um, then, then they're not only shooting easy twos, but they're shooting easy threes, and they just get you feeling like you're chasing your tail. Um, and so, you know, a lot of it is can you contain them? Um, do you have versatility and ability to switch them? And, and not always be stuck in rotations. You know, if you get stuck in rotations against them, they're so unselfish. Um, ball has tons of energy and it flies around to the open player. And then it's a matter of you hoping, you know, hoping they miss. And so, you know, you, you have to take the three point line away from them. You, you know, you just have to make 
Deladon make tough twos going right over the top. You know, if you let Deladon go left, you know, you're in for a long night. If you make her go right, she's going to still make a decent percentage, but it's, it's a different game. So, you know, I think it's tendency-based. Um, give them one shot, which, once again, they get you spread out. And even though they're not this um, offensive rebounding machine, at times they can be really good on the offensive glass because you're so stretched out against them. And you guys just beat Vegas, uh, the best defensive team by a lot of metrics in the league, or at least right up there at the top in, in a lot of those different metrics. For Vegas, it just seems like there is so much potential for greatness, and maybe it's just because they're the first. It's the first year for them together. Like you said, you know, Jackie at point guard. Uh, you know, she's not at her full potential yet, and of course, uh, Liz uh, coming in, and, and and Asia was gone for a certain amount of time. How scary is that team um, just to prepare for on both ends? Yeah, I think they're ironically they're an easy prep um, because they're very uncomplicated in terms of what they do and what they're trying to do. They're going to run triangle offense and you got to have a plan against the ball side triangle and you got to have a plan against the weak side action and how you're going to defend that. Um, you know, and then you have to make some decisions about, are you going to double? And if you are, where are you going to bring the double from? And, and, you know, who are you going to leave and, and how are you going to zone the backside? And, and so, you know, I think, Vegas is scary just because of their talent, you know, and I think they're, they're a team that if you can force them to play half-court basketball, um, you have a chance to win. But if they, they're able to get out and transition and really punch it in the post early, um, you know, if McBride's making threes, you know, we, we, we beat them because they didn't make threes. Um, they're not a high-volume three-point shooting team but they're a high efficiency three point shooting team. And so the difference between us beating them at home versus losing it at Vegas was, you know, McBride thing off from getting off on us from the three point line. And so, you know, you've got to take something away. And if you, you, it's a lot easier to take the three point shot away from Vegas than it is to take, you know, six, nine away, two feet from the basket, <laughs> um, you know? And so, you know, you, it's it's a lot of that. I mean, they certainly, their talent level, their depth, they can go a lot of different ways. I just think, you know, the, the question mark for them is are they still searching for what's the right lineup at the right time? To me, Kelsey Plum's a point guard, and she's played off ball all year, and now, you know, three games in a row she's come off the bench now at point, you know, and come in with Epiphany Prince, you know, who's been in an ace uniform for two games, you know, and so – you know, do they have that consistency? Do they have that synergy, that, you know, thing that Connecticut's had the same starting lineup for three years, you know, like who has the advantage in that situation? And I think when you look at Vegas or you look at LA, you're looking at two teams with incredible talent. And the question is only in how is their synergy? How is their, you know, how is their unselfishness and their sharing of the basketball and, you know, kind of people staying, um, in their comfortable space and knowing, you know, when I watch Washington and when I watch Connecticut, the ball has tremendous energy at the offensive end and, and they constantly are going from good to great, you know, they'll give up a good shot to a great shot. Um, you know, and, and will, will LA and, and Vegas do the same thing, 
you know, when it comes playoff time and it's a, it's a, a one game situation or it's a series, you know, I mean, I think, you know, you, you have, the, that's the big question to me. That's fascinating stuff, and it goes right back to your point, driving home that point uh, about consistency like you were talking about earlier. I just want to ask you about Connecticut, and you've, you've put them out there a couple different times, and I know you're, you're proud of helping to start that. But besides their consistency and their ability to keep the starting lineup together this year and, and have it together for the last four years, where are you most proud having you know been – um, there in the trenches as you were getting that started. I know you're fully, you know, in the corner of the Atlanta dream now, but where are you most proud of, of that group of women? Well, I think a lot of it is just, um, you know, I have such good personal relationships with all of them. You know, that, that group was a group that we drafted or, you know, that we kind of built around, I mean, really gave, you know, in making the trade, um, for John Quell and trading, trading Chelsea Gray, it opened the door for Jazz Thomas to truly be, you know, kind of the full-time 30-minute-a-game starter. And it's, you know, worked out so beautifully both for, for Jazz and for Chelsea, you know, in their respective situations. And so, you know, I think that a lot of it is, you know, the, the first year we were super young and, you know, I think we got buy-in in terms of, you know, growth and where we could take it and how we could take it there. Um, year two, Kurt gave me so much more uh, responsibility and autonomy to really take over the defense. And we weren't particularly good. We were young. Um, we were aggressive at times, but I've watched their, their defense evolve um, and them get on the same page. I mean, Alyssa Thomas has been a good individual defender. Jazz Thomas has been a fantastic um, defender, but to see the growth of Courtney Williams, to see the growth of Jonquil Jones, who's always been a good rim protector, but you can truly see understands actions and situations. You know, that for young players in this league, defense really comes along as you understand why people do what they do and what they're trying to get to as opposed to, okay, I'm just doing this on a ball screen or I'm just doing this on a pin down, you know. And so to kind of see – even their synergy at the defensive end and how that's grown, you know, I'll, I'll still never forget Courtney is Courtney Williams is so quotable at times, but I, I remember her, um, you know, we were playing Seattle and, and uh, Jewel, she's trying to guard Jewel Lloyd and she's coming over to me and she, she's like, Nick, Nick, like, you know, like I'm just getting blown up on screens. What do I do? You know? And, and I looked her square in the eye and said, don't get screened, you know? <laughs> and, and, you know, sometimes it's as simple as that. Like if you're, if you're constantly reacting, um, you're going to get screened. If you understand when you can top block and how to get skinny and, you know, I mean, Courtney was someone who, you know, iced her whole career at South Florida and didn't spend a lot of time getting around screens, you know, I mean, that's the opposite philosophy, um, when, when you're an ice team. And so, you know, even to see her growth and, and even hear my, my coaches and their scouts when we would play Connecticut say, you know, Courtney does a really good job getting around screens. It just always takes me back to that moment where she's like, Nick, Nick, I'm getting blown up. Um, and so, you know, I think that's the autonomy he gave me, you know, was on the defensive side there and to see them, um, you know, be so solid at times. But you, he's, he's known as an offensive-minded coach, and you can see – 
um, that they have great synergy on offense, but this year they haven't always shot the basketball well, but their defense has been consistent when they haven't shot the basketball well. Well, and I think that story just shows, you know, sometimes fans wonder, yeah, we've got all these young players, but, you know, why can't they put it all together? Or why is it tougher for a young player or a a, a team that's a little bit younger to go up against a a team that's a little bit more savvy and and veteran laden? I think that's a a great uh, story to illustrate, you know, the things within the game that, you know, us fans don't necessarily see right off the bat we see shots made we see rebounds we might see a big block we don't necessarily see that action so that's uh, that's an awesome story thank you so much for relating that oh for sure uh you still a big tennis person i know uh back in the back in the day you wanted to be chris everett are you uh all getting settled in and you dvr the u.s open final today you know i got to admit that you know summer comes and summer goes and i am I very rarely know anything that's going on in the world of sport besides my job. (laughs) Um, You know, it's like I can't seem to get him interested in in college football yet. Um, You know, I've become a huge NBA fan. You know, I I certainly I coached in college. I would watch the NBA, but didn't watch it as closely as I do now because I, I see so much correlation between what they do and how they do it um, and how it, you know, can help my growth um, as a coach. And so, um, you know, I, I've watched it at times. I, I had to see what Townsend was all about the other night. I, you know, everyone was talking about her serve in Bali and, you know, being, you know, more of a Martina Navratilova type. So I did, did watch her uh, a little bit in action the other night. But, no, I, I, I'll, st- I'll settle in more to, to the world of sport outside of the WNBA um, in a week. And, you know, unfortunately, like we'll be done, <laughs> you know, like I, I just, it's, it's one of those. I, I, I told my team today, even my thought for the day was like a little on the sappy side, you know, I'm like, you know, I've, I've been out getting, um, thank you gifts for my staff. And it's just, I'm, I'm one of those people that as mad as they make me at times, or as much as we've struggled, like I, just when they leave, it's almost like a um, post-traumatic stress, you know, situation for me um, for a few weeks because you you go and you go and you go and it's Groundhog's Day every day when you're in the WNBA because you go from one scout to the next and one prep to the next and and then all of a sudden it's over and in in like 48 hours you exit interviews, exit physicals and like they're gone, you know, your staff's gone, your players are gone and it's just like whoa. It's the crazy, crazy part about our league that is just after being in college sports as long as I was and a part of college women's basketball, it's so different. You know, we just don't, they're not gone like that. Like you can't wait to send them home for two weeks, (laughs) you know, because you know they're coming back too quickly, you know. So it's just uh, the, the flip of that. It's like a marriage that only lasts half the year or something like that. And then, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, the toughest part too, you know, I got interviewed today and they were asking me, you know, about that whole off season thing. And I said, you know, the hardest part is that, you know, you have all these things you want. Okay. I, I need Elizabeth Williams to do this. You know, if we're going to be better next year, if I, I need Brittany Sykes to do this, if we're going to, you know, and, and they're reporting to their overseas teams within like two weeks um, now they're both going to do USA basketball stuff first, but you know, they'll go over there and then it, then you're, 
you lose them, you know, and it's, you don't have your hands on them. You don't, um, you can say, Hey, I need you to work on this, but you never know what their teams are going to expect of them over there. And now all of a sudden their teams are paying their paycheck and you're not anymore. And so, you know, it's just, it's the hardest part about our league because I, I believe so much in player development and where some of these guys can get. Um, but the nature of their year round schedule um, if they don't make up their mind to do it on their own, it, it just doesn't get done, and they just flow from one season to the next. If you were going to make one request of Kathy Engelbert or just, you know, in the CBA negotiations, or and I've talked to somebody else about this, it, I know that the timing just doesn't work with most players going overseas, but the ability for you as a coach to be able to work with them just just for a month or or mm-hmm. six weeks, how valuable would that be to you as a coach? Yeah, in- invaluable. I mean, it's just it, the idea of having the ability to reinforce um, actions and behaviors. And, um, you know, there's I, I was once talking to, to Eric Tebow um, about Elena Deladon. And he was saying, you know, when she first came over, the thing that amazed him the most is he could, he could, you know, kind of go out on the court with her and say, okay, now instead of doing that, I want you to, you know, I'm just going to use an example. Like I want you to reverse pivot and then Euro step, you know, and, you know, she could do it. The most amazing thing he said is that she can't just, she just does it then. And then the next game immediately can do it. You know, most players, the number of reps it takes to get someone to break a habit or to do something different, there's just not very many Elena Deladons. For instance, I'll use Elizabeth Williams as an example. You know, my post coach can work with her on, I want you to reverse pivot or I want you to quick spin. And, you know, every scouting report's going to say Elizabeth Williams is going to go left and try to shoot a left-handed hook shot. You know, statistically, it hasn't been a good shot for her. And so the question is, why is that Why is that her go-to shot? There's some comfort in that shot, even though statistically it hasn't really been that good to her. Right. You know, but how long does it take to get somebody in a drill situation, take that from a drill to a one-on-one to a five-on-five to where all of a sudden the quick spin is what she uses? And so I think it's, it's having, having that extended time to help them grow in their skill development. And it's tough because they have a finite amount of time to make money um, with their bodies. I I think the hardest part about this CBA and the hardest part about everyone wanting us to pay them enough money that they don't have to go overseas, I've always asked the question, how much, how much is it going to take to keep them here? Because you're telling me that if, if we paid, I mean, even if we doubled the max salary or two and a half times, you know, and all of a sudden we were paying our top players 300000 are they going to turn down the million-dollar contract with ECAP? Mm. I would say no. Right. I mean, who's going to do that, you know, when you have a fight? So, you know, and you can't overnight in a league that um, doesn't sell out arenas and doesn't have the corporate partners um, that it needs to – to have the money, you know, to pay players significantly more. You can't just decide we want to pay them a million dollars, so we will, because that's not sustainable. And so it's a it's a very fine line in figuring out, um, you know, what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And, 
You know, our league has a very, uh, to me, it's very problematic that so often we lose players. We don't even have them in our training camp because they come back late. You know, I think a big part of, of Chicago's success this year is that Courtney Vandersloot was there from the beginning. You know, she's missed most of their camps playing for Ekaterinburg or um, her Turkish team that won EuroLeague two years ago. You know, there have been there have been times when she's been late because of the Turkish League. You know, or we lose players to Eurobasket and these things, you know, where we're not talking about even having them for two weeks. I mean, I had Elizabeth for, you know, one week of training camp um, because of her Turkish team and, Tiffany Hayes missed time because of her Polish team. And so we're not the only ones in that situation. I mean, that's consistent across the league. You know, so we not only don't get them for the six weeks before training camp, we don't oftentimes get them for training camp. That's just uh, mind-blowing when you think about it and and trying to put together a team. And certainly uh, it's got to be the most challenging for the coaching staff. There's no doubt about that. Well, I'll leave you with this, Coach. You've had some great moments in your career, you know, and I'm not just talking about last year. Uh, You've been a coach long before that. You've seen ups. You've seen downs. How do you bounce back? What is your bounce back plan for this team next year? Just kind of give me your thoughts as, as you guys try to right the ship. Well, you know, I pride myself on one thing as a coach that, like, I'm a grinder. I'm not afraid to hustle, and I'm going to you know, keep working. And so, you know, I might not always have the right answer, but I'm going to keep searching for, for, for the answer. And, you know, I I think there are people probably as competitive as me. I don't think there are many that are more competitive than me. And so, you know, there's, there's no doubt that I'm motivated by this. I'm motivated to, to turn the corner and, and what that means with this current group I've got, or whether it means that, you know, we've got to make some significant changes. Like I'm not afraid to bet on myself you know, and, and do what it takes to, you know, get us back to, to being a playoff team. And, and, uh, you know, I've said most of my life that, you know, there, there are very few things in this, this world that I'm supremely confident about. And, you know, I became a parent and I've I've said all along, like, I just try not to screw my kids up too bad, (laughs) Um, you know, but when it comes to basketball, it's kind of been the one thing my whole life that I just, I'm, I'm confident about, I'm confident that I know how to communicate it, that I think I can be a problem solver. And so that doesn't happen overnight, but I'm not afraid to, to find creative solutions and to keep finding ways to make this franchise a great one. And so, you know, fortunately at this point I have great ownership and, and, and great leadership, um, at the top, you know, where I, where I feel good about where I'm at and where my staff at and, you know, that, that will, you know, between free agency and what happens with the CBA. And, you know, that's the toughest part. What, what's our, what is, what's going to happen in the CBA and what does that mean for free agency and what changes are there going to be? And, and, um, you know, until that happens, we, we don't know for sure what direction we're going to go, but, um, you know, I'm going to knock down some doors to, to figure it out. Well, it is obvious that the Dream have the right person for the job, and they are certainly lucky to have you. So thank you so much for your time today. I I hope we can get to do it again because uh, we just scratched the surface. But I really appreciate uh, you imparting some knowledge on us today, Coach. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. That is Nikki Collin, the head coach of the Atlanta Dream. Thank you so much to her for her time. Wasn't that just fantastic expertise? Yes, I'm still on the train headed into work here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. We've got a great one coming up for you next week as well. Kathy Engelbert, the 
new commissioner of the WNBA was in the Dallas area over the weekend, and I got to chase her around with a microphone as Dallas took on Seattle on Sunday and came up with just some fantastic moments. Do you consider yourself yet a quote-unquote leader in this space, or is that something that, I guess, as as you position yourself, as you get better and better in your role, then then you consider yourself a leader? Yeah, I think, you know, leaders are, are built over time for sure. And as I have gotten gone on my tour and seen what it takes, I think, to be a leader of a major sports league, and quite frankly, the only major women's professional sport league to last over two decades, I think... Um, you know, I think I'm up for the task given my leadership of in my prior world. And I, I think leadership's about, you know, especially as you look at this league, this is about leading, you know, it's only 144 women, but it's a huge brand that I think really makes a difference in so many lives. I know you're going to enjoy hearing from Commissioner Engelbert. I'm going to curate that for you and bring that to you next week. A reminder, please rate and review the podcast. We covet your rates. We covet your reviews. No matter what you think about the podcast, we want to know it helps us out so much. So you can do that on Apple Podcasts, of course. Uh, But then also, maybe you don't have Apple Podcasts. Just send us a note, podcast at herhoopstats.com. That's podcast at herhoopstats.com. Again, the executive producer of the Her Hoop Stats podcast is Aaron Barzilai. Our voice is Susie Solis, and the music is by Jared Deck, jareddeckmusic.com. I'm your host, John Little. Until next time, reminding you at the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.